Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. On today's episode, I speak with Chandra Keel, founder of Enio, marketing company that is designed to serve entrepreneurs who are launching their brands, their products, and just need tools on how to get their message out to the masses. If we take a step back, I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to picture this scenario. I want you to picture someone who is homeless at 16. By 18, they're a teenage mother of an infant and they have no college degree. This is how Shandra's career started. And when you listen to that, and then you look at where she is today, of course you, I would imagine the same thought that has crossed my mind, which is how. So on today's podcast, not only do we unpack the different chapters of her career that ultimately led her to finding her passion for marketing and her entrepreneurial spirit, But we also get into the things that Chandra does that allow her to be successful. Some of the things we get into, we talk about the importance of mastering boundary setting, how to create relationships where there's a give and a take, but it's not one-sided, and how to teach people how to treat you. We get into toxic relationships and knowing when they are toxic and having to go through the hard work of eliminating those relationships in some cases. And last, we get into what really is a theme throughout these podcasts, which is Chandra's curiosity. She was open and curious to learn at every phase of her career. And she had a mindset that just because she didn't know something, it merely meant she hadn't learned about it yet rather than there was some shortcoming in her. She is a truly remarkable woman, truly remarkable mother, and now a business owner. So excited for you to hear her story. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Chandra. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I've, I've been... Looking forward again to have this conversation with you all week. So thank you for agreeing to be on. Yes, I've been looking forward to it too. Yes. Well, and I don't know why. I always feel obliged. Like if I know the person that I'm interviewing, that I feel like I need to come forward and admit that to our listeners. So so let's get that out of the way. Um, So I'm trying to think. We got connected, what, in 2018? Sounds right. Yes. I'm terrible with years, but yes, I think yeah, you're right. I think so. It was when I started working with Girls Club, which is, you know, a lot yes. of that work with Girls Club is what sparked what Rising Tide is becoming, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think for anyone listening, I think one of the things that was so incredible about my personal experience at Girls Club was that you and I were like peas in a pod. And so much of what we accomplished during that year at Girls Club was because of you and your like really kind of fostering like creativity and then you had really great vision and it was just I don't know you made it so much fun to do that yeah. well it was fun to work together yes we did so, good stuff and we had fun doing it right 
Yes, I agree. So we don't go back far, but we did get to work together for a year. And I think what's so exciting is, you know, since we worked together, you've actually launched your own company that is focused on helping entrepreneurs with marketing, which even just doing the podcast, I can attest is super duper hard. (laughs) Uh uh And, And I love that you're doing this. And I love that your concept is about teaching people to fish as opposed to doing it for them and them kind of always being reliant on you. Exactly. Yes. And that's very much where it was born out of it. It it fits my personality and what feeds my soul too is to help people in a real tangible way that does actually change their life. Learning an essential business skill, something that you can take with you no matter what you do is life-changing. And I, I just really enjoy being able to teach in that way. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't about like, you know, this is more about you and your story, but now I'm super curious because I would imagine somebody hears that and they think that's a little nerve wracking because if you're going to teach somebody to do what you do, then will people need you? Like maybe really quick, tell us about, you know, obviously it fills your cup and it's, it's what you love to do is to help arm people with the skills to be able to go do the things themselves. But how does that work? Because, you know, I think my first thought is like, then how do you generate business for yourself? Because eventually, you know, ideally you're, you've taught all the people, all the things, and then you're not really needed anymore. Yeah. Um, there's balance to it. So it's like you think of even just like you could take something that is personal to all of us, our own personal finances. Having financial literacy makes you competent with your own money, but then it also opens your eyes up to what an impact it can make. And how beneficial it is to pay somebody who's even on a next level tier of your understanding. And so I don't think it's reasonable for business owners to try to master everything in marketing. That's not why they got into business. That's not their thing like it is mine. But it allows them to function at a competency level that helps them to grow their business. And then if and then they get to a place where they're saying, okay, I need more. They understand when it's time to hire. They have enough knowledge of marketing to know who to hire and what skills they're looking for so they spend their money wisely if it does come to that point. That makes so much sense. And the fact that people can be competent enough so that they can be successful and understanding that entrepreneurs are usually bootstrapped and you know they yes. don't have the resource to hire you know somebody right then. So you're really trying to in a way, help enable as many entrepreneurs to see their vision come to life as possible is really what it sounds like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And and you touched on a little bit of it too, where um, I've experienced this past in my life before I was in marketing myself, where there weren't options and there are very few options still to from a balance of Googling everything and going to college of Google, trying to figure out everything for marketing. And that <laughs> is a rabbit hole in of itself versus paying a a full-on design agency, a marketing agency, we can rack up thousands of dollars and just not a smart investment as you're starting out. You need marketing, but to go and drop 10K on branding and marketing strategies before you've even learned your market or learned your business is not a smart investment. And so it, it provides that option for the bootstrappers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It makes so much sense. Well, and, and you know, it's funny because we're talking about, you know, your business, but I think about, this is such a valuable thing. Cause I think, especially for, I've seen it more with women than men, but men do it too, which is like almost this concept of fiefdom. 
And, you know, where it's like, I want to create something where people need me and they can't afford to lose me because then I become invaluable and then I'll always have a job. And, you know, when you think about it in a corporate structure, it's like, that's usually when you get stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because you've built yourself so, you've entrenched yourself so deeply and being so valuable um, in this one area that nobody else can do what you do. Therefore, nobody else can do what you do. So they can't exactly. afford to lose you. So uh-huh. I love I love that you've kind of taken this mindset of abundance and really, it's a beautiful mission of really truly serving the entrepreneurs that are out there and helping them be successful. And then when it makes sense, you know, then they can come back and work deeper with you or with another business, but they understand what they need. Exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. Okay. Okay, well, let me, I, you know, here I go. I, this is what happens. I get so excited and I get so curious and I jump right in. But let's back up a sec. So obviously you've started a business that's built around your love and passion for marketing. So was this something that you like always knew that you were going to do? Totally, no. Oh, <laughs> that's like 100% a no. <laughs> okay, so so maybe back me up then. then like, because um, I, you know, again, unless people go and they can check you out on LinkedIn and I actually encourage you to do that. But like, I think something worth calling out is like, so you didn't, you never went to college. No, nope. I actually started living on my own at the age of 16, a very young 16. Oh my gosh. And led a very, we'll call it interesting life up until the age of about 19. And it was a life of survival mode. So the thoughts of what I wanted to do in life and how I was going to get there was absolutely not in my brain whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so at a at a pivotal age where you're just starting to figure out the world and what you want to do and what you like, I was focused on literally surviving at that point. And so right. it took some years to figure out what I like to do and why I like to do it. And then how to transition into something that's sustainable for myself and my own life so I can support myself and my children. Oh my gosh. So, okay, so you mentioned you moved on your own at 16 and then an interesting life until 19. So was there something that happened at 19 that kind of changed the scenery for you? Yes, I had a baby. Oh. So by 18, I Does was that a do it? Yeah, that'll do it. Yes, it should do it. Oh so that obviously swung me into a world of you're responsible for a human life and you got to get it together. You got to get it together. So it was working three jobs to survive and to support us. And it was just me. I I didn't have pretty much everybody in my life who should have been there to help and support me and protect me was not there. And so it was me, myself and I for a large part of that. And there was no Google either. So even just to Google things of like, okay, when do I start feeding my baby solids? You know, it like, there's just things that was not so easy to learn like it is now. And so it was a lot of figuring out how to be a mother and how to survive in life. And like I was saying before, it was just absolute survival mode at that point. Oh my gosh. Okay. Several questions now. So you mentioned not being so easy to learn and like things that I think a lot of us take for granted today, especially having something like Google that you can Uh usually like just about, especially as a new parent for anyone that's been through that or going through that, like, you know, like you Google quite a bit and Uh you know, there's Facebook, right. With your mom groups, if you like to do that. So how did you do it? How did you get information? 
You know, I, I don't know, honestly. I mean, there was just a lot of figuring out when to feed my kid solids. I, I actually stopped a woman at Walgreens and asked her because you know, I was, I, I knew I like my mother instincts were there enough where I was like, this girl won't stop eating. She's clearly hungry. She needs something more sustainable in her stomach. Um, me desperate to have a full night of sleep, especially considering I was working three jobs. I desperately needed my sleep when I could get it. And I stopped moms in Walgreens and asked them. And I mean, they probably were looking at me like, oh, sure, I'm happy to answer you. But why, why do you have to ask me that? I'm a stranger to you. But, you know, I just, and that's very much of that came out of what I experienced at a young age as a teenager, where it was no exaggeration of a fight for my life. And that survival mode kicks in and you don't think about what feels normal or might what shock people. You're just thinking about what you need to do in that moment to keep yourself alive and give yourself the basic necessities that you need in life. And so at the time I didn't know it, but that's very much of how I was able to function and do what I did. This was the nineties. So teenage pregnancy was everywhere. And I, I had lost a lot of my friends too, because their solution to it was to just live off of welfare. And I, I refused to do that when I knew I had the capacity to not do that. And so I was working three jobs and I didn't have time for friends and I wanted nothing to do with that. And so it came to where, again, it was like that fight survival mode. I didn't have a support system, but I, I had to go and I had to find that out wherever oh I God. could get it from. Yeah. So help us understand. So you had three different jobs. Like, give us a flavor. Like, what were they? So I was very fortunate. I worked for a daycare center in the infant room. And they allowed me to keep her with me in the infant room, which was fantastic. It was also very hard because I, I had to always be very conscious of the fact that I wouldn't get blamed for favoring her. Right. So a lot of times it was somebody else taking my own crying child while I was taking somebody else's crying child. But in the end, it was the best thing in the world. Sure. Um, and then I had a waitressing job that I took at night. And one of the workers in the infant room took her for me at night. So totally trusted her, of course. And then I had, a, it was a woman who had a bridal shop and I sometimes worked watching her kids, which again, I could bring my own daughter, or I worked at the bridal shop and I would have to find somebody to watch her. So it was, thankfully, it was jobs where I was able to spend a lot of time with her considering the fact that I was working so many hours. Right, right. And then thankfully, having people kind of built in that could watch her for you. So yes. you're not just all the money that you're making is going right back into somebody watching her. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So then, all right. So how long did that, like, how long was that going on for? How long were you kind of juggling all these three jobs and being a new mom? You know, I didn't always work three jobs. I did that probably up until she was three, I would say, is when it was a, a juggling of multiple jobs always. And I eventually started getting jobs that were, were secure jobs in companies that I could actually grow in where I was learning skills that could help me grow. It was still definitely survival mode. So in the circumstance that I was in when I was young, 
when I left home at 16, I moved in with a 28 year old man and put two and two together that it, I didn't, in my immature 16 year old mind, I didn't understand how highly dysfunctional and toxic that was. And so that set me on a path in life of accepting less than what I should accept for myself. And again, at the age of 16, you're at such an age where you're formed in who you are and how you think about yourself. And so, you know, I spent 20 years of fighting for myself and finding people that were actually there to support me and did care about me. All at the same time, allowing people in my life who didn't deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it's like um, an onion of like shedding layers of having epiphany moments of why am I letting this person in my life? Um, even just strangers, some, you know, witnessing things and seeing things and why are you letting that happen? And it was to them, it was just shocking of like, why in the world are you letting that happen? But because I'd never had anybody say that to me as a teenager, the thought had never occurred to me why I was letting those things happen to me when I had the power and the control to say no to it. Right. Right. But to your point, you didn't necessarily always know any better. Yeah. And you kind of started to get into what I was wanting to ask you, which is, you know, it would be understandable. And I think this is such a, you know, I've seen this theme in all these conversations around kind of a a natural allowing yourself to stay curious because Mm -hmm. it's just another great example of like, it's really easy when we have our experiences to kind of believe that that's the world because it's uh-huh. the world that we understand and we know exactly but through either curiosity or being exposed to other things and new things then we start to have like it sounds like an understanding or an awareness and in your case that there was something better or that you deserved better or that exactly. things that, situations that you were finding yourself in were not normal or healthy or you know helpful for you so Maybe yes. I'm just, you know, you kind of mentioned that it's sometimes it could be strangers reactions. Like, could, would you maybe give us an example of a time where you had that realization that you were in a relationship where you were allowing somebody to be around you that was negative or toxic or just not, you know, somebody that was not worthy of you? Yeah. So <laughs> the, my example of this person is probably going to be shocking, but you'll understand why. So when I was 16, I was literally homeless and surviving as a young, white, blonde female in Compton, California. So you can imagine how it was quite obvious that I neither grew up there nor did I belong there. And it's an entirely different world of not understanding the unspoken rules that you very quickly better learn um, or you won't be around to learn them. And the person who I was with was not looking out for me. He was incredibly selfish and was looking out for himself. And I was left often in very dangerous situations. I think about this person to this day. There were two people, G and Batman, who were always looking out for me. Whether they were currently not locked up, they would go find me and make sure I had food to eat. They would make sure I was protected. It was very much like I began to learn who to make alliances with so that you could be safe. And looking at somebody who is in and out of prison, and this is the world that he's grown up in, but a softness of a heart there 
And coming from that place of looking at me and saying, why? And he'd ask me that question. Why are you here? You didn't grow up here. You didn't have to be here. You're white. You, you, sure. This is not a world where you have been thrust into where you have to learn how to get out of. And it was, it was constantly scenarios like that of somebody looking at me and saying, why are you allowing this to happen? You can fight for it and get out of it. Other situations where I was without transportation and in bad situations and you accept somebody's help, hoping that their help is genuine, because again, I'm 16, 17, 18, very vulnerable. And I have lots of memories of people who helped me. And it was an eye opener of people who were bothered and disturbed, confused, but there was a genuineness in their heart, which always led to, how'd you get here? Why is this happening? And just their confusion as to why I was there, it was imprinted in my brain constantly of they're perplexed of why this is happening, which means that there are other options out there for myself. Um, and it, it graduated in life, um, employers that I have. I had an employer who had the biggest impact on me in my life. She actually fired me. And when she fired me, it was the most impactful life lesson that I've ever had. You know, she had to protect her business and I had way too much toxicity going on in my life to focus on work. But again, it was somebody who sat me down and said, Hey, look, if you want X, Y, and Z, you've got to change what you're doing and you've got to go after it. And so it was bits and pieces in life of people helping me to understand what I had not yet been taught in life just because of what I was surrounded by of you have an option for a different path. You can go forge another path and you are good enough for what you want. And so it was constantly getting lessons in that way. Wow. How, like how beautiful to have people that um, sometimes would be there in and out of your life, but that were able to be that perspective for you, especially early on in a really Fragile stage. To your point, like you mentioned, like where friends of yours were just getting on welfare, and instead, with some of that input, like what fueled you to say, like, no, I can't do this, and I, I don't, I'm not going to use a system to fund my life. Like I can, if I work hard, I can make this work. Yeah, I think some of that is. I get that from my mom. I know for sure. When my mom just does not have it in her brain that she can't do something, almost in a a naive way where it's like, you don't quite know what you're getting yourself into. And that's that if you knew, you probably wouldn't do it if you knew what you were getting yourself into. And I just, I think it's a combination of that. And just the reality of that I was thrust to at a young age of having to survive where I just, it didn't have the thought that I couldn't do it. It was a matter of getting through my head that I deserved what I wanted, but I didn't ever have thought processes either that I couldn't do something. And Mm -hmm. When everybody else around me, they had the option to not work. And so they chose welfare. I just knew of like, well, I can work. I can make enough money. I do have skills. I don't have to do this. And it was not a conscious thought. I just did it. Right. (laughs) Uh, Which I have seen that side of you play out continuously. And I think it's the thing that I've always been drawn to about you is this 
confidence and this self-belief that you have that I just, it's very magnetic. So it's interesting to hear even how it manifested very early on and how it would show uh-huh. up. So, okay. So you told us you were in Compton, right? And so how did you get to Massachusetts? Because at some point, you know, you transitioned from working three jobs to then taking a job as a studio coordinator at IDEO. So Uh Uh how did, like, maybe quickly bridge the gap for us and then, and then tell us a little bit about IDEO. So Massachusetts owned because my, my mom had moved there. We're not from New England, but she had moved there. And I was, Let's see. So my daughter was five at the time. So I, I'd been enough of a parent long enough to where I was like, okay, I'm getting a grasp of this. And I was older now, relatively, I was older now. And (laughs) it was one of those decisions where I said, okay, I'm not in a great situation right now. And I have an option here to buckle down and focus on what's important right now. And that's ultimately what brought me to Massachusetts. And some of that was just getting me geographically out of what I had always been in. Mm -hmm. And so I went there and I looked through my life and there were always good people who helped that made a big difference in my life. And, And I had a friend who he suggested that I apply for this job. He worked there. I didn't know anything about IDEO. If you're in the design world, mechanical engineering, you probably know about IDEO and it was one of the best experiences I could have had because working with incredibly intelligent people, very intelligent people, very creative people. And I got to be surrounded for the first time in my life, people who had a sense of their self and who they were, had confidence in themselves. And it was a, it's hard to top the work environment that you can get at IDEO. It's such a nurturing environment. It's such an encouraging, upbuilding environment. They they don't have a culture where they're led first by profitability. They're led first by caring about their people. And it was an incredible environment that I got to be in. And I, I learned a lot about myself. It's That is where I began to learn about myself that I love to learn mm-hmm. because there was just, I love to sit down next to the designers and see what they were doing. It was fascinating to me what they would come up with with their product development and the market research that they would do, human factors work of understanding the psychology behind why people use products the way they do or why they buy that they do. I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated by it. And I was able to, they again, because of that culture, they include you in on client meetings. Even if it's not directly your position that you're in, they see that even though your job title doesn't say X, Y, or Z, you're a human being and you have input to give. So I got to sit in on meetings like that. I was the frontline person filtering through people who wanted were dying to work at IDEO from Harvard, MIT, I mean, top-notch places and incredibly smart people where I got to be the first one saying, yes, you make the cut, no, you don't. And it was very... <laughs> It was a very educational process to see how just because everything looks right on paper doesn't mean you're a fit for something. And yeah, say more about that. I'm really curious because this is right. So this was back in 99. But I mean, if we fast forward 22 years, like it's crazy how much emphasis was has been put on for your degrees and right things looking right on paper. And yeah more and more companies and people are coming around to this idea of like, that is not 
a guarantee that somebody knows how to work hard, that somebody is going to be a good fit, that somebody even has the capacity to learn the skills to do the job successfully. So maybe tell me a little bit more, like from your perspective, like what were you learning as you were saying, you were seeing like the paper looked really great, but that doesn't always line up mm-hmm. with, with reality or maybe what's going to work. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw it play out in real time of you could bring in somebody from, we were in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So MIT or Harvard, we got tons of applicants from there and they'd come in for an interview and IDEO being who IDEO is, the interview was not your traditional interview. And you could see immediately that culturally it was not a fit because they were very driven by what the shoulds of what they should be doing. And when you are in a company that is highly innovative, if you're driven by that, then you're not going to be able to see outside of what everybody else is doing already. Mm. And you could see instantaneously whether or not they were able to think for themselves and not be afraid to introduce their ideas for fear that they were, they thought that they were going to be stupid or not good enough. And IDEO can be some intimidating people to be around just because the best of the best get into IDEO. So it's an intimidating interview. You could see it play out of people where they might not have the experience, they might not have the skills or the training on paper, but they were able to go in and impress a group of engineers and designers where they're saying, yeah, this guy or this girl has got some great ideas and they know how to input them into reality. And so it was very interesting. It was just very interesting to see that. And I, at the time for me, I was still at a stage in my life where I I hadn't quite yet acknowledged or realized for myself that there were things that I wanted. I didn't think I was good enough to have them. Like they were for everybody else, not me. Mm -hmm. But I was also getting insight to I could if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I could if I, I if I just went after it. And I, I really got to see that. And so not having a degree and definitely living in a time where that was the first line of what's your degree. And I didn't have that. And it definitely limited what I could do for work. But I mean, idea, for example, and every other job that I took from there, I had the title of what my role is. I always did more than what exactly my job called for. And I learned from it. It was interesting to me. It's what kept me challenged. I I realized through life that's why I hated high school is because I was bored to death. I was bored out of my mind. I was a master at cutting class. And so what I've always done with my jobs is take on more. And that has been the replacement of college is attaching myself to people who I could learn things from. Right. Okay. So you were at IDEO for seven years and it just sounds like it was this incredible experience and time and just like so much learning that happened there. And then you left. So I guess Mm -hmm. what what kind of got you to move away and and transition into, and then it, it actually, you didn't just move, but like you physically, geographically relocate again. Yes. Yes. So I ended up leaving IDEO purely for personal reasons. It was a very hard choice to make. I still have very close friends from my time being there. And just personally for me, I, number one, I, everyone kept telling me that winters would get easier and I just still hated them. <laughs> so that was partly the decision. <laughs> I, you, you can only do so much snowshoeing to enjoy the frigid cold weather and the gray skies. <laughs> um, so I moved back to Arizona where I grew up and 
it was Arizona because that was, I needed a place that I knew and felt like home to me. It's not necessarily where I wanted to be, but I knew being in a place that was new to me was not a good move. And it was also very hard to go back and work for a normal company that wasn't IDEO anymore. It was, it was very hard to do that. It was culture shock for me. Sure, yeah, so what I, you had known was IDEO, which is a very rare breed. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, I got thrust into the red tape corporate type of world for the first time to where I was like, wow, it takes you guys a long time to get stuff done. Yeah, <laughs> and it was yeah. the first time I'd seen that play out. So I started working for a company. I was an executive assistant. And to this day, I, I'm very good at it and I enjoy it. It's just, if I could do whatever I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I probably would actually do that because I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm very good at it. But so I, I was, I did that for six years in Phoenix and I also had my own company. I started a wedding planning company. So I was doing those two simultaneously. And again, I took on a lot of roles that were not my job. And I made sure that in whatever capacity I could, I was learning something else. And my wedding planning business very much served that for me. I, I was not so much a fan of the wedding planning. I quickly learned I was a fan of being a business owner and marketing. That was my first taste of marketing. I, I was fascinated by SEO and learning how to build a website in WordPress and learning HTML and things I'd never come across before. And that's, that's more so of what I loved out of that. Okay, so... EA job was like really good at it. It sounds like you probably got to a point where you could do it in your sleep, but then you once again are doing mul multiple jobs now where you, how did you decide you were going to become a wedding planner? How did, where did that even come from? It's funny because so I realized how rare I was in the wedding planning industry because typically it was women who like, they love weddings, they love the flowers and and I was like, I, I could honestly care less about that stuff. I just see people going about how they're planning their wedding in a very painful way. And so for me, it was more about the logistics. And it was actually very hard for me to be a wedding planner because I didn't relate with the excitement that they had over their mm -hmm. wedding to where I was, I don't think there will ever be a point in my life where I would say that I would like a big giant wedding with, I'm also a an incredible introvert. So being put on set of attention like that does not sound nice to me. But yeah, so it was it was hard because I really had to find it in me to relate with the entire wedding industry. But I loved the business ownership aspect of it. And I loved helping them simplify a very chaotic, complicated time in their life. Right. So was it, was somebody going through the process? Like, how did you get exposure to even seeing that it was a broken, inefficient process that could be optimized is basically, right? That's what it sounds like. Yeah. They, so how did you even yeah, exactly. get exposed to that? Different friends' weddings, you know, family and friends who had gotten married. And I, I just, I'd be sitting back and scratching my head and going, I know you DIY'd your wedding invitations, but you paid probably about 80% of what you'd pay if you had somebody else do it. So just 20% more, you could have had some professional wedding invitations. And by the way, you know, like saved yourself like 80 hours. Right. <laughs> Not trying to do it yourself. So it was, right. it was things like that where like just from a, a logical perspective, I was scratching my head of like, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Or, you know, like going cheap on the, the venue 
and choosing to, within their budget, choosing to go cheap on the venue, but then go extravagant on the flowers. And it's like, if you set the canvas first on what you like, you wouldn't have to spend so much money on something that dies in 24 hours. So right. it, was, it was seeing things like that where I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. Okay. And so you did that. You, uh, how long did you end up running your business for? I think it was about, it was about five years. It was five okay. years. I signed my very last client in the hospital after I had my second child. <laughs> I, at point, I, I pretty burned out on the wedding planning, but yeah, that was, that was the last contract I signed was in the hospital nine hours after having my second child. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I can't even, I can't even comprehend doing something like that of working six hours later after having gone through the whole process of childbirth. And I'm sure anyone yeah. here who has gone through that process or watched someone they love go through that process is probably like having a little bit of a mind blown moment. Um, okay. So two babies. Two. Yes. There is a 16 year, 16 year age difference between the two. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, and so this, I mean, I would imagine, right. You're sitting there signing a contract, probably exhausted, and realizing, like, I don't, not to put words in your mouth, but like, I would imagine, like, two jobs is not going to be sustainable now with having two kids and a newborn now is one of those kids. And then also yes. trying to juggle your own business and still being a full time EA. Yes, and I you know. did all that. You were pregnant too. I did. <laughs> Just to put that in perspective. <laughs> yeah. I went back to work working from home mm -hmm. a month after. So I had four weeks maternity leave. And super thankful to my boss at the time. So we have and had a great relationship. And the empathetic side in me, I was like, oh, she's dying right now, not having me. I just knew that she was. I don't think she would have cared if I worked on the moon as long as I could help her out. She was happy to have me back. Oh so I worked from home in the best capacity I could with a newborn. And the last wedding that I had, my daughter was. She must have been about four months. I was still breastfeeding. So she must have been about four months old. Yeah. And that, that was definitely tough because a wedding day will take, I don't care what kind of shape you're in, will take absolutely everything out of you. It is 18 hours of going hard mm -hmm. all day and you're responsible for everything for a very important day for somebody. So that, that was, that I remember that day where, um, I, I loved the couple that was that I was working with, but that was it was tough. That was a hard one. Okay, so that was your last wedding. I'm sure you were just so unbelievably burnout and exhausted. And then, so then, what did you do after being an EA? So you left TTEC. So like, what yes. what came next? Um, I left there, and I had a period of time where, thankfully, I was able to not work. Mm. and have some time to think about what I wanted to do. Cause I, I had no idea, honestly, what I was going to do. I just, um, it was at survival mode again, in terms of giving my children what they needed. I had a teenage daughter and I had an infant and they needed mom. And I needed for myself, even just for selfish reasons to feel like I was being a good mom to them. Mm -hmm. So the financial impact was worth it to be able to take some time to think about, okay, what am I doing? And I was also in 
a place in my life personally where I had to make some very difficult decisions and being in a state where I was going, 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 going constantly was not going to help me make that decision whatsoever. And so I did some odd jobs here and there. I relied on my um, assistant's abilities to, it was super easy for me to sell people to help them on contract work with help, you know, small business owners of what they needed. Interestingly, virtual assistant work is incredibly popular now. <laughs> and so I took some time and eventually I ended up working for a company, Factor 8, and very small company and a, a lot of family and friends that may, was the makeup of that company. And so it was very much of a culture of, um, again, we don't, your job title doesn't necessarily determine what you do. It determines like where we primarily need you. But there was lots of opportunities to jump in and do lots of extras. And me being the person who is curious and I like to learn and I'm up for any challenge, I ended up doing anything and everything. The, the one thing I massively failed in is they gave me QuickBooks to manage. And we quickly found out that was not a skill of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so while you seem to be quite adept at learning and doing all kinds of things, maybe accounting with QuickBooks, not... <laughs> No, we'll put that in no. the category of yes, yes, that you'd learn something, but you learned that yes. that is not your forte. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, okay. So at this point, just to kind of summarize, so you've, you've gotten to work for a company that's incredibly innovative, collaborative, extremely people oriented. So you've had exposure of like a really incredible work environment. And then mm -hmm. also just being getting to work with some brilliant minds. Then you found you have an unbelievable aptitude for being an EA and getting to work closely with an executive. So again, getting to see parts of a business, but really it sounded like wedding planning was really what started. That's where the spark for marketing started to kick in because yes. of the work you were yes. doing there. And then some of the self-taught things you were doing to promote your business. Yes. Yes. Okay. That was okay. very much of where I got to do the do thing. And I could see like I had an interest in marketing aspects and on like an obsessive level. I just really okay. enjoyed the part of marketing in that. Yeah. And I saw a little bit of that at TTEC too, because I was working with the top notch of people within the company. And so I would hear marketing terms at the time. I didn't know they were marketing terms. And I would hear them and then I'd go quickly Google it to see like, okay, what the heck are they? Because I could hear the conversations happening. And so I would hear these high level conversations and get like 50% of what they were talking about. And then I'd, I'd, I'd hurry up and go back to my desk and Google the rest of it to figure out what they were talking about. <laughs> so, okay. So then, you know, you had time and space to breathe and, and do some contract work, but like really kind of allow yourself to like reconnect really with your girls. Yeah. So yeah. was doing marketing something that you had hoped for when you went to factor eight or like maybe give us a sense of your yeah. thought process of like when you started to look for that next job did that play into what you wanted to do so it was very similar to what happened when I had wedding planning business is I started to do one thing but I kept doing the marketing stuff it kept becoming urgently aware so mind you within the company marketing literally did not exist sure that like in fact, I, I think they had a piece together website, but it, it was not a website that they wanted to actually drive people to. So when I say they didn't have marketing, <laughs> they did not have marketing. And it was the first experience to me to where I had to push for what I knew was right for them as a company. I pushed 
for you need to get a website. And of course, it was me who built it because it was me who was going to take on that challenge and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn how to build like a real website this time. And I built the first version of their website. And it was, I, I remember I, I had several nights where I, I just didn't go to sleep and I stayed up building it. And, it. and when I say obsessive, it was just like, there was something on the back end in the code that was not making the website look like what, and it just drove me up a wall and I didn't stop until I figured it out and pushing them for, you need an email list. Like you, you have a very tight knit group of supporters and encouragers in within your industry. You have an amazing opportunity to have a quality email list, not just quantity, but quality. And so I started learning about email marketing. I started as where I, I learned that I absolutely love copywriting. I had a little bit of that at TTEC where I worked because people were constantly asking me to rewrite their stuff for them. <laughs> and I just saw that as like, oh, yeah, of course. I just thought I was doing something nice and not like quite absorbing of this as a skill of mine yes. that I can do something with. Yeah. Um, and it was at Factor 8 where the real principles and the concepts of marketing, of buyer psychology, of marketing funnels, all of the conversion rates where you get into the the more the analytics and the data where it was a non it was the perfect environment because I didn't have anybody to rely upon. I was the only one who had any knowledge of marketing and I was at a very fast pace being self-taught. Mm -hmm. um, I started to learn what I'll call the mentors, but people who I, I don't even know them and they don't know me, but I absorbed everything that they said, everything that they wrote because I admired how they, their perspective on marketing and I admired their knowledge and experience around it and a very fast pace of reading books. And so it was a great environment to one, finally have the puzzle pieces come together of, I really enjoy this and I'm really good at it. I have plenty to learn, but when I learn it, I learn it at a fast pace and I'm good at it once I learn it and I get the concepts of it down. And it was There's a combination that of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's taken me, I would say it's probably just in the last five years of my life where I've learned of that can do attitude that I have, that, that is confidence. And I, you know, I also, I spent so much of my younger life being around people who were older than me. Mm. And so it instilled in me to appreciate people who were further in life than me. And to appreciate what they know that I don't yet know. I never had a look of like, because they were so much older than me, it didn't impact me of, well, they're smarter than me. It was just they were older than me and they had more experience than me. So therefore, I just don't know that yet. It wow. also instilled in me. Can we, can we stop there for a sec? Mm -hmm. I, you know, this is, to me, this is huge. Because I know personally, and again, I think this is why I've always been so drawn to you, is like, it's the opposite. I've had a very different challenge of, mm. you know, thinking that I'm, I'm missing something. I'm be constantly behind, but not in a, um, I just haven't learned it yet, right? Where yours was very much <laughs> like, I just need to go learn that. I just haven't given myself an opportunity yet. Mine was, you failed. You miss mm. the boat, right? And even in things where it's like, how can you possibly say that? But I think this is a really, really, really important thing to just really harp on because that mindset, I think when we look at everything that you 
up into this point have done and even you know from this point forward what you've been able to create like it is fueled by your ability to keep an open mind to continue learning and that just because somebody else knows how to do something doesn't mean that you or yourself are not capable you just haven't applied yourself yet to understand it yes exactly Yes. That's so big. And I think that's such a great thing that, you know, some of us may have to work to learn that mindset, but the power Mm -hmm. of, you know, that we can learn and that how we view a situation can greatly dictate how we do in the situation, what we make of a situation because of what we believe to be true. Okay. I cut you off. You were starting to say a second, but I just, I I had to kind of pop on the soapbox for a minute because that's one thing that is really unique about you and is a really just an incredible strength of yours. And again, I've gotten to witness it firsthand and I also know how polar opposite it is. And it's something that I'm, I've been in the process of learning how to do. Uh-huh. So, yes. um, okay. So, and then if you remember, since I broke your train of thought, that was one of the thoughts that you had. And then there was something else you were starting to say. I know what I was saying. I don't remember why I was saying it. So I'll start with repeating it. Um, <laughs> I, because I was often, so often surrounded by people who are so much older and had more experience in life than me. It also put me in a state of constantly feeling like, like I, I constantly had to catch up, like chase after what I could do mm-hmm. rather than being content with where I'm at. So it, it, it did breed in me a little bit of not valuing what I did know where I was at in my place and in the time that I was in, in my life, because it was always in contrast to people who had accomplished more than me. And now I lost time. Yes, yes, exactly. And, And again, because I was a young mother, I was thrust into being an adult before I was even an adult. So you feel like you're constantly catching up. And I missed pivotal years as a teenager and as a young adult where you recognize that you're growing up and you begin to recognize your own immaturity and be like, okay, wait a minute, I'm too old for this now. I didn't have those processes in my life. So I felt like I was like constantly on in catch up mode. And it's not been until the last five years of my life where I have learned to come to number one, where I've learned like full circle of not allowing people in my life environments in my life, not allowing things in my life that do not deserve to be there because that is my space. And I don't owe an explanation to anybody for where I'm at, why I'm there, my past. I don't owe anybody an explanation for that. And removing all of that ick and that toxic is it's hard to even put in words how that will transform you as a person because you can finally come to your full potential and become to it. You know, we, we hear so much about it nowadays, but come to a place to where you love yourself because if you don't have that first, you don't function well professionally and you don't function well personally in your life at all. And I've come to a place to being confident and happy in what I know. And what I've learned and giving myself the credit that I deserve. It's so easy to look at other people, especially in the age of social media. It's so easy to look at other people and think, oh, well, they are better than me. They know more than me. They deserve this more than I do. And there's a reason why they have this and I don't. And that's not true. And I've, I've finally come to a place in my life where I'm very confident in what I know and owning my abilities and owning my skills 
even at the same time knowing I still have so much to learn. And that doesn't mean that I'm inadequate. Right. Right. Holding on to that belief is so important, especially as you have acquired. Sometimes when we do acquire more information, it almost we regress in some ways because we start to become aware of what we don't know. Exactly. And so I think even the fortitude to hold on to that, that had been a strength, you know, and, and bringing yeah. that with you. So, again, just really powerful. All right. So going back to factor eight real quick, because you were. I know your title was business manager when you started, and then you said you were taking on marketing stuff, but eventually you actually became the director of marketing there. Like marketing became a full-time thing. So clearly you were able to be very successful there. And Mm -hmm. I know for people who like you had finally made the big transition, how did you do it? Because that's another big thing of like, you finally turned this thing that you were loving and passionate about into your career. Yeah. So it was, it was a long I was in a long process, but it, it wasn't like, it wasn't the scenario that you might imagine of like, okay, you're moving from that role to this role now. Because I was very good at managing multiple things, mm. I could function across the board doing a variety of different things. It was hard for them to let go of that. Number one, I've decided that that no longer serves me and I don't want to serve in that capacity anymore. And continuing to sound that message down. and fighting the people pleaser in me of like, okay, I I know you need help, but me constantly helping you is holding me back as well as holding back the benefit to the company in me doing my, my role in marketing. It was a good Uh, year. Can I pause you again? Yep. (laughs) Go ahead. I'm getting bold in my interrupting you lately. Um, Okay. (laughs) So I want to touch on this for a sec because this is another really big thing that I think is worth unpacking further, which is this fighting the people pleaser side of us. Uh-huh. And I think you were starting to explain there, but I actually want you to maybe like give us a little more, which is, so there's like this desire to like, you see a problem, you see a need, you know, mm-hmm. you can, you know, you have the capacity maybe, yeah. but you definitely have the skills to do it. And then it sounded like, you know, for you, perhaps you were looking at where are the greatest needs of the business. So maybe for those people who are people pleasers, who find it really hard to say no, or feel like they find themselves in situations, and then that's when they get overloaded, because they can't say no. How did you toe the line between your people pleaser side, and then the side that allowed you to to say no and, and focus on where the business needed you to be focusing? Yeah, so there's two things with it. Um, People pleaser people tend to be able to tolerate a lot. They can take on a lot. Once they hit their tolerance level, there's no misunderstanding that they hit their tolerance level. You don't doubt that they're saying enough's enough. But that happens because it is just internally an explosion of enough. I've had enough. And so for me, being a people pleaser to frame it in a way that is somewhat still a people pleaser way of I'm not helping them if I don't have my own boundaries. I'm not helping myself Mm. and I'm not helping them. And so it's better for everybody if I just buck up and have some boundaries, no matter how hard it is to set those boundaries, because it feels like I'm utterly failing somebody who needs me. And that's where the the drive that comes in of being a people pleaser in that way, because, and, and you combine that with somebody with me to where I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. And just not a second's thought about sure. it of like, but you just signed yourself up to be working until 1am in the morning, Chandra. That's 
probably not the wisest choice for anybody. So having a recognition that it's not helpful to anybody and you're on a very fast road for burnout mm-hmm. and there is no way of getting around it that you are teaching people how to treat you. And yes. if you are a person who does not have boundaries in your mind, you're being an incredibly kind person to them. But actually, it is a magnet for people who will take advantage of you. And when you begin to experience people who highly value what you can do, who want to partner with you and work hard, but realize and respect your boundaries, that's when you accomplish really good work with somebody. That's so helpful. I love how you took what is still a beautiful, can be a beautiful strength of wanting to take care of people to make people happy, but using that in a sense of like, I can't actually make you happy if I'm burnt out and I yes. can't even show up in the way I need to show up to deliver for you what I promised I would deliver. So I think exactly. that's, a really, that's it, really helpful. And then teaching people how to treat you. I mean, yes, it's such a great reminder. It's teaching yourself as well how to treat yourself. And so, again, when you're a people pleaser person, it is easier to learn how to treat yourself by how you're thinking about how you want other people to treat you. And then that culminates into like, okay, I need to treat my own self better. And you you can internalize that people pleasing for your own self because we're not good at doing those things for ourselves. And again, it it is a domino effect where you it it just becomes natural to have those boundaries it becomes natural to use your strengths to help other people but not in a way where it takes so much out of you that you have nothing left for yourself right and you you kind of hit on it at the end but i think you know you were touching on like almost like recognizing when you're being taken advantage of versus like where it's mutually beneficial. Like you, you might be helping somebody out, but there's, there's benefit to it. So maybe how do you distinguish now between like helping somebody versus it being something that's like, you're not being taken advantage. It's it's kind of like the help is, is worthy. Like it's worth you doing it. Right. Cause there are absolutely, I'm sure times real, you do say yes to things or you do, you help somebody out. So how do you know? How, like, what do you use kind of as your, your guidepost to help you know, like that you're doing it on your terms and that it's still, you know, good for you not being taken advantage of? Yeah. So one of the things I've had to do for myself is be crystal clear on what's important to me. Like what are the non-negotiables in my life? And if helping somebody encroaches upon those non-negotiables, then it's a no, I can't do it. It's just like, I almost had to set like a rule book for myself of, very black and white, it's a no then. There's just no negotiating it whatsoever. So understanding what those non-negotiables are in your life. And for me personally, um, I don't know if this is everybody, but being very particular about how I manage my time because I end up taking on things that I shouldn't take on. And I'm, I'm first thinking about the pleasing aspect of it without considering the consequences to it. And so what really is the price you're paying in helping somebody? And if the price that you're paying is a couple of days of extra hard work or extra long days to help somebody who 
isn't that person who's always asking you to cross the boundaries. And the relationship as a whole is a give and take where you know in you know in your heart of hearts they would do the same thing for you. That's the part of being a good friend and a good partner in a business relationship where you become an invaluable asset where they know that they can rely upon you. But it's the relationship as a whole that dictates whether or not this is a person if they value that because at some point it will cross a boundary of a non-negotiable. And uh -huh. if uh -huh. they are unwilling to accept that or they tell themselves the story that that means that you are just, you're not in it for them and you don't have their back. That's your flag there to say, actually, no, they don't care what the cost is to you. They just want what they want. Oh man. I hope everyone listening is really <laughs> honed in on that. Cause I think that's such a really great, such great advice of how to think about how do you know what kind of situation you're in? And I love the perspective of looking at relationships as a big picture. There's mm -hmm. give and take over time. It's not one moment in time, one decision, but it is over a period of time. Is there a balance? Do they show up for me as much as I show up for them? And, you know, and then if they don't, how do I, you know, what do I want to do about that? And if, if maybe I'm not showing as much for them, right, what do I want to do about that? But I think that is so good, especially, and again, you know, it's really easy in corporate environments to um, have a lot of pressure be put on you. And I know for me coming from a sales background, right, like there's a lot of pressure to deliver results within a confined period of time. Um, and at what cost? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about it, even what was coming up for me personally was uh, when all of a sudden somebody questions your character, your commitment, your loyalty because mm -hmm. of one thing, when there's a history of behavior that, exactly. that's countered. Uh, yeah. And then that's used against you. So gosh, Sandra, okay. I know we, we kind of got to start bringing this to a close, but there's, there's a couple of things I want to make sure we get to before, before we wrap. First is you know, you've, you've basically been an entrepreneur multiple times in your career. You were one mm -hmm. as a wedding planner, you were one as a contract EA, and then, you know, so it's not surprising you are one again, and that's who you want to serve. But mm -hmm. this is the first time you're really doing it full time as your business and not working for someone. So yes. how did you, when, I guess, when did you know, or how did you know that it was time or you were ready or, you know, it, this is what you wanted to pursue now? Yeah, I, I knew it for quite some time at Factor 8. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but mm -hmm. again, because it was such a small company, it was very easy to be entrepreneurial, even though it was not my own company. And I knew it. And then my second daughter, my oldest daughter, she's a graphic designer. We, we just started having these pieces come together of, we make a really great pairing for helping small businesses starting out on things that are very expensive to do and are often misunderstood. So we started having those light bulb moments. Um, and again, not quite sure how we were going to structure it. And it was about the middle of 2019, where I knew there was a time clock at Factor 8, and I ended up, I actually ended up leaving Factor 8 in January of 2020. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having no idea what was going to happen to the world just weeks after that. 
And that was it because I, when I left, I had, don't get me wrong, it was scary, but I had enough consulting work lined up to get me by until I knew what what I, what I was going to do as a business. And that just all immediately went away with COVID. And so it, it took me a couple of weeks to just, as well as to digest what was going on in the world, but it took a couple of weeks to think through like, okay, what am I going to do? And uh, it just came to a moment of like, you know, I, I have more time on my hands than I've ever had in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Literally my entire life. I have more time on my hands right now. Build a business. Why not? And so that's what started that. So Kaylee and I together started building Ineo in 2020 and started building the building blocks pieces of it and really formulate what exactly what we wanted it to be. And then it was toward the end of 2020 where it, it, it became to be something to where it was like, okay, we've got our footing and we know exactly what we want this to be. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a great, we could have a whole conversation, I think, even on this first year for you of, you know, having an idea and then evolving it and figuring it mm-hmm. out and playing around. And I've gotten to witness it and kind of go on the journey with you. And so I've seen the iterations and the evolution that y'all have gone uh-huh. through. And I think it's so, uh-huh. you know, if there was something through the process, like in your last year, like a big takeaway that you've had or something like if another entrepreneur is starting out or maybe in the throes of their first year, like, is there one thing that you're like, if I could, if I would go back and tell myself that thing, like, here's what I've learned now that maybe would have been helpful. So, you know, (laughs) when I first started out, is there anything that jumps out that you would want people to know? I think first and foremost is to don't box yourself in because we mm-hmm. end up boxing ourselves in thinking that we have to have this detailed mapped out plan of exactly what leads us to success. And of course, you want to put plans in place. Um, you want to put goals in place. But there is so much learning that happens in the first year of business that you the first five years of business you're learning so much. You don't quite know yet the market and what they find valuable. You don't quite yet know even for you as a business owner, understanding how you function best and how you serve people best. Don't box yourself in because number one, you set yourself feeling like you're just an utter failure. Because again, like starting out business, we in some ways we, we kind of pull numbers out of the air because we, we got to start from somewhere. And you, you want to be ambitious with those goals, but then that can, it can start to feed in as like, oh, I'm just, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. And you're doing a ton is what it comes down to. And you're learning a lot and don't box yourself in either in the context of the only way to success, be explorative and be open to other ideas and be receptive to things that come across your plate of oh, this, this is a great idea. Or people keep asking me this. Maybe I should do something with this. Even if you put something out there, let's say you sell courses and you put it out there and it completely tanks. It's not a moment of like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm not cut out for business. What do you get out of it? Why did it tank? Answer that question for yourself. Why did it tank? Because you probably have boxed yourself in thinking that there's absolutely no way it should have tanked because I did everything according to plan. Yes. Well, I love that. Why did it take? Not that it tanked. Why did it take? And learn from it. And how do you mm-hmm. how do you leverage that to help you? Okay. Well, and that kind of, I mean, I, I kind of stole from what is always my closing question, which is, you know, I think if it's something different, which it probably could be from all that you've shared, one thing, either 
advice that was given to you that has really Mm -hmm. served you well in your career or Mm -hmm. something that you've learned over the years Mm -hmm. that you would want to share with others? If there's that one thing that you just want to make sure that you, you, people would know, what would that advice or learning be? Um, that's a toughie. I know that throughout my life, I experienced it heavily and I see it manifest in a variety of ways, no matter what your history is in understanding what's possible outside of your world. So I grew up without conversation or even talk about what I'm capable of and what do I want to do in life and go make that a possibility. It can happen by somebody being boxed in by what their parents say they should be doing. And you have to go get this eight, 12 year degree because this is the the path for success. Take a moment to think about, okay, what do I really want? Or maybe I don't know what the heck I want, but have an awareness of what exists outside of your bubble in life. We all live in our own bubble and be intentional about learning things that other people learn in a different environment in their life that you haven't come across in your life because you end up counting yourself out of possibilities because they're just never in your realm and you don't even know you're doing it. You have absolutely no idea that you're doing it. So I think that would be the biggest thing that I I would encourage, especially for younger people to think outside of what is automatic within your world and consider what else is possible. I love that. I love that. And the awareness that you're in a bubble, even in this day of information, you're still exactly. in a bubble. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh. Shandra, this has just been, even as somebody who knows you, I've learned so much about you through this time. And then just, again, I think just a renewed sense of, uh, enamor is not the right word, but admiration for who you are as a person, what you've been able to accomplish. And then seeing what you're doing with NEO. So, you know, if people are listening to this and they're really, they're like, I need more Shandra in my life, or I want, I want to know more about NEO. How do they get in touch with you? And how do they get in touch with NEO? They can find me on Instagram at Shandra Keel, Shandra C-H-A-N-D-R-A. And hello, NEO is our NEO account. Um, Those are the primary places that you can find me on our website is helloneo.com. Awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing your incredible story and just so excited to see what the future holds for you and NEO. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pretty incredible story. I'm so grateful to Chandra for her willingness to share. And I hope that each of you were able to take something away from that. She has really given great advice, very specific guidance on areas that I know I personally struggle with and have learned from her and I hope that you were able to do the same. I wanted to close with a update that rising tide is now expanding. We want to go beyond just having a way to share women's stories and now we want a way to connect you amazing women to one another through virtual events. You can check out more on our Instagram page at Rising Tide Podcast to get all the details about the meetups. The idea behind these is that we will spend intentional time connecting as well as each 
meeting will have a very specific topic that we'll cover to help you further either understand yourself or understand how to be more effective in your current environment. Excited to see you all there. Don't hesitate to reach out. Shoot us a DM if you have questions. See you next week.